Hey everyone, I'm Hedy McKinnon and welcome back to the House Specials. Today we meet Nancy Pappas, an artist, illustrator and design director of the food media company Cherry Bomb. Nancy is a Korean adoptee who grew up in a classic white American household, so her Asianness was not always something she embraced. Nancy's feelings of displacement are not that different to the cultural confusion I felt growing up in a Chinese household in Sydney. It makes me wonder if these feelings and the struggle to fit in are just inherent when you look different to everyone else, when you are the other. Over the past few years, Nancy has reckoned with her cultural identity, culminating oh in an God. important we pilgrimage. <laughs> We spoke to Nancy ahead of her big move to Seoul. I'm going to start by rewinding the clock a little bit and ask you about your childhood. In terms of your family life, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a Midwest baby and I grew up there until I went to college and I went to Lawrence Kansas, the University of Kansas, and I have an older sister who's a Korean adoptee as well. She's only a couple years older than me. But yeah, I grew up in the Midwest as an adoptee. My dad is also a domestic adoption. He's also an adoptee. And yeah, I don't know. It was a pretty average Midwest life. I always kind of laugh. I have a lot of international friends and they always say that I had the American TV show upbringing to them. And your parents were what nationality? American? Yes, American, white, very West wholesome parents. And so growing up, would you say your upbringing was kind of wholesome Midwest white American? Yeah, that definitely would be. I, I think now that I'm a bit older and I've, you know, kind of had my own reckoning and research and coming of age of my adoption story, I guess, I look back and I am both thankful for my upbringing, but it's also very interesting how I look back and I can definitely sense that I like rejected being Asian. I rejected all these things because of my Midwest upbringing, because while I did have some Asian friends, majority was all white friends and I didn't really explore any of that side of me. But I, I don't think I, it was a loss or anything. I think I had a very, very good upbringing. My parents were you know, I think at the best they could with the resources back then, we went to Colorado almost every year while I was a kid uh, to a Korean heritage camp. And that was the small moments where I could connect to my Asian roots and also be kind of proud of it for a weekend. But then I definitely would get back to St. Louis and be like, nope, none of that happened. Yeah, there's a few different elements, like it was a different time, perhaps. You know, when you, you talk about your upbringing, I would say having grown up in an immigrant household, my attitudes towards my own culture were not that different to yours. Like I also uh-huh. rejected being Asian or Chinese. Mm-hmm. I also wanted just to be a, like a white girl, you know, hanging out at school like everyone else. So it's interesting that your upbringing and mine seemingly are very different, but in terms of being in touch with our immigrant culture or, or you know, the minor status, like that's the status yeah. that we always tried to suppress. Um, so that's a, it's interesting to hear you say that, actually. So do you remember the first, what was the first Korean food that you tried? Do you remember that? 
Um, it's probably like bulgogi or japchae. Yeah, it's, I mean, I love and still love japchae. Did you go out to eat Korean food Did your, or did your parents cook it for you? Did you find that connecting with your Korean heritage was at home or did you feel like you had to work for it? Well, we definitely didn't cook it at home. We would have like kimchi or something sometimes, but we did eat out Korean food as special treats. Like I remember my sister's surprise 18th birthday. My parents took myself and like 10 of her friends to a Korean restaurant. So Korean food was a very celebrated and special occasion. And I think that sparked a lot of curiosity for me because it wasn't as accessible. But I do remember, you know, the very visceral moments of eating Korean food. I remember I'd pour packets of sugar on kimchi at camp because it was too spicy for me, but like really, really wanting to like love it. Obviously, I know you cook some Korean food now. I've seen some of your cooking on social media and you make very beautiful dumplings. When did you start? Uh, taking a foray into cooking Korean food? Hmm. I mean, I would say I'm still trying to tiptoe my way into it because I don't have the confidence or the education around it yet. But um, I feel like it was probably my time at KU that I started trying to cook a little bit just since I was like had access to an Asian grocery. But it was my time in Kansas City that I would make some dumplings and I had tried my hand at kimchi, failed miserably. But it was really until I moved to New York where I was, like, I think that I was still a little bit rejecting the Asian side of me. So basically, back to the Korean Heritage Camp, we went back when I was 24. So as an adult adoptee, it was a wildly different experience. I was going into it thinking I was going to be hiking and running around and playing indoor soccer and bouldering on their indoor rock climbing wall. You know, so I was just like had this vision of this like young, youthful Nancy. But we went and I was in these kind of like adult adoptee seminars and lectured with my sister. And it was also the first time I had heard really my sister ever talk very in depth about our adoption, her adoption. And, and it made me, I mean, I'm not kidding. It was like flipped a switch. My world was flipped upside down. Um, from 24 until probably 27, 28, I was in immense grieving. And so within that time, I both rejected my adoption because I blamed a lot of my mishaps in life about that or on that. But at the same time, I was so absorbed with Korean culture and trying to also find answers within that. So I'd say that's where I started trying to cook more Korean food, to consume it literally and figuratively as much as I could. And in that time, I also moved to New York. And so then to be exposed to you know, Korean food here and also Asian friends, just like, you know, vibration rolling effects of figuring that all out. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by California Olive Ranch. Discovery starts in the bottle. Extra virgin olive oil for every dish, every meal and every cuisine. Some of my non-negotiables in the kitchen, good olive oil and za'atar. A simple snack when I'm working from home is a dollop of Greek yogurt, drizzled with extra virgin olive oil and sprinkled with za'atar. Add some bread or crackers and you're good to go. Okay, now back to our conversation. In terms of you reconnecting with your Korean culture, I, I know that you recently, well in the last, was it last year or so, got in touch with your birth mother and you've got a sister. Would you like to tell yeah. us about that? Because I think it's such yes, a beautiful yes, story. Yes. So I started the search, I guess it would have been 20, end of 2018. And like that period of time where I was grieving, like I mentioned, um, 
I'd, I've always wanted to do the search, but I think in that period of time, I was so hungry for answers that that was kind of a definitive moment where I knew I was going to search. So I submitted all my paperwork to Holt, my adoption agency, and began the search. At this point, I was expecting n nothing in, in fact. Um, I had communicated with my sister, my older sister, my adopted sister, about starting the search. Um, I, communi I communicated lightly with my parents, my adopted parents, about also wanting to start search, but I had zero expectation. I kept my expectation very, very low. So I submitted all my paperwork on November 2nd of 2018. And on the way out to my sister's house in South New Jersey on November 20th to celebrate Thanksgiving and my birthday, I was on the train out to uh, the bus stop and I got an email back that my birth mother had been located and they were eager to hear from me. And that was at like 8.30 in the morning. I had like called my sister at nine, said I was on, the, on my way to the bus station, got the email and from 9 a.m. until I got to South New Jersey around noon, I was just sobbing. <laughs> I was just completely like, could not control myself for two and a half hours. And my sister picked me up from the bus station just wondering why I was like sobbing, you know, and I let her know that I found my birth mother um, all within 20 days of submitting my paperwork. <laughs> and meanwhile, uh, my adoption agency let me know that it takes a minimum of a month to get any paperwork back, like medical, and a, a minimum of six to eight months to hear any concrete information back. And I got everything back in 20 days. Wow. So tell us about meeting your family in, in Korea. Where, where do they live? They live in Yangwon, which is quite south, like outside Gwangju, which is south, south Korea, countryside near the water, which is lovely. Um, so after I found out about them, we, there was an exchange of letters and photos. And then eventually my half little sister, who's three years younger than me, we did exchange phone numbers. So we text and we had been texting prior to meeting. So when I found them, I also committed to flying out of, in October 2019 to meet them officially. And of course, naturally a nerve wracking experience. But I mean, truly, if not the most important moment in my entire life, it was mind out of body, but also can remember very strange details but I also kind of blacked out and had some memory loss, which was a unique experience. We met at Holt at my adoption agency and I had a translator. My birth mother came in first and it was very emotional. I am also like four or five inches taller than her. Um, and it was, it was so emotional. It was kind of crazy. I feel like I naturally am pretty compartmentalized with my emotion and I was just absorbing it all. I was speechless, truly speechless. I had a lot of trouble speaking and forming words because the translator would ask me, like, do you, do you want to say anything to your birth mother? And I, I like, my, verbally, I couldn't speak. But it was, it was really incredible. I mean, we had exchanged photos, so she wasn't a complete visual stranger at that point. And then my half-little sister came in, and she's beautiful. They're both beautiful women, both. Um, I, I like to blame the Midwest diet because I'm a solid four inches taller than them. Um, but it was, it was really nice. We exchanged some gifts and we, I tried to ask some questions 
And then afterwards, the translator swapped out and then we went to lunch together. So it seems very wildly comfortable and I don't really know why. I, I'm trying to understand if it's blood, if it's just how the, the way the world works but I immediately felt very comfortable with them. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Is it, I often think mm-hmm. that, is it, is it nature or nurture, you know? Like you, you instantly recognised her and you were almost, you had that relationship from the, what you've told me in the past. You, you felt close to her and your sister almost immediately, so. Yeah, definitely more so my little sister. I think there was also this very unsaid mutual understanding between my sister and myself because she was kind of the reason why I was able to find them. So at 12 years old, her father passed away. And from my understanding of the story of what they were able to translate with me and communicate was that when he passed away, my birth mother told my little sister about me. So for the first 12 years of her life, she didn't know she had a sister. And so an older sister. So my birth mother told my little sister and my little sister asked when my birthday was and my birth mother did not know, like she couldn't remember. And so with that, my little sister convinced and encouraged my birth mother to call the hospital to try to find my birth date. The hospital said, we don't have that record, but you should contact the adoption agency. And so when she contacted the adoption agency, they let my birth mother know whatever information, but that also gave her the opportunity to update her contact information, the so location, email, phone number, the whole work. And so with that, that was about you know over a decade ago, she updated the information. And so with that, I was able to find them in 20 days. That's incredible. They were waiting for you, Nancy. It's like they were waiting for you to be ready to be found in a way. Yeah, I was very emotional because in the first letter they were like we you we're waiting for you to extend the hand because they can't search so you've talked about texting with your sister in korea (laughs) are you you learning korean oh yeah so i i taught myself the alphabet this year thank you thank you very much i feel like a toddler but i'm moving to korea in a month less than a month and uh, my adoption agency granted me a scholarship for a 10-week intensive language program at Iwa Women's College. And I will be starting classes on September 11th and going through November. So I hope to God I come out of that somewhat fluent because I would like to have a conversation with my birth mother. Well, I think moving there is the best way of learning Korean. So Yeah, um... I know. In between eating all the kimbap. <laughs> Obviously, we've touched upon um, you moving to Korea. This is the, the big news that you're actually moving mm-hmm. there. Absolutely incredible. I mean, obviously, there's a, a lot of emotions attached to this move. How are you feeling about it and what are you most excited about? I'm genuinely just so excited to be able to spend time with my birth family because I was actually supposed to go out in May for three weeks. And yeah, so COVID canceled that flight. And I was really eager to get back out there because now going out in September or next month, you know, it'll been nearly a year since I've seen them. And it's the fastest year ever, but it definitely dragged, dragged on. So I'm really excited to kind of be back. Also that I've met them, you know, we, we kind of know our personalities. We laugh together a lot. We eat a lot together. And it's the simple forms of like family bonding time that I haven't had for the last 
29 years of my life. And so to have a second chance with that, mm. sounds all sappy and cheesy, but yeah. I, I'm like really excited for that. Nancy's story is incredible. It's a reminder that learning about who we are, where we come from, and how we fit into the world is a lifelong journey. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing your story with us. This episode was produced and edited by Shirley Kai. Our theme song is Moonlight Melody by Scout McKinnon, with additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. If you like what you heard today, check out issue six of Peddler Journal, The Immigrant Issue. Season two of the House Specials is an audio companion to this issue. Throughout this season, you'll hear from home cooks, writers, artists, and entrepreneurs. Every guest has a unique immigration story, and we will explore how the foods they cook, eat, and share with others keeps them connected to their respective homelands and to their cultural roots. You can find us at peddlerjournal.com and on Instagram at peddlerjournal. In our next episode, we meet Daisy Orlana to talk about how the loneliness of navigating the US as an adult immigrant inspired her search for the Indonesian food of her youth. Join us then. This episode is brought to you by California Olive Ranch. Discovery starts in the bottle. Extra virgin olive oil for every dish, every meal and every cuisine. And here's a quick recipe for today. When I was young, my mother would make Hainan chicken, served with her delicious ginger scallion oil. My siblings and I usually ditched the chicken and fought over the oil. Then here's how to make this aromatic oil. We're giving it a little twist today and using olive oil instead of the neutral oil for a really rich flavor. Firstly, peel and chop a two inch knob of ginger and place it in a bowl. Add four chopped scallions, a big pinch of sea salt. Secondly, heat three quarter cup of olive oil until it's hot. Test this by placing a wooden chopstick into it, and if it sizzles, it's ready. Very carefully, pour the oil over the ginger and shallots. And lastly, allow to cool, and then add a few more Chinese shallots into the oil. I love to stir this oil through cooked noodles or rice. Yum!